Bitcoinstockoptions.com. Check it out today, bitcoinstockoptions.com. These folks have a trusted, trusted history in getting you the best. Bitcoinstockoptions.com. Check it out today. Are you wanting to get in the world of Bitcoin? Check out bitcoinstockoptions.com. That's bitcoinstockoptions.com. At dollarseed.com, all of our seeds are only a dollar a pack. And we have online resources that teach you all about the rewarding hobby of growing your own plants, flowers, herbs, and vegetables. Imagine the joy you'll feel when your children actually help you harvest your first garden crop. Or the pride of knowing you'll never need a florist again. Visit dollarseed.com and grow a little magic of your own for just a dollar. Dollarseed.com. What could be healthier? An incredible new marketing partner with us today at Transmedia Worldwide. Wow! Try new e-liquid by Vape and Chill. Check it out today. It's the brand new e-liquid by Vape and Chill. Check out their website. It is absolutely amazing. Vapeandchill.com slash collections slash the number 10 ML-Liquids. Go over to vapeandchill.com. Go there right now. It's vapeandchill.com. And for the people, the cheap seats in the back, it's V-A-P-E-A-N-D-C-H-I-L-L-vapeandchill.com. And tell you, you heard about it here. Translate it. Well, vapeandchill.com. Yamana. Welcome to the world-famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Raw and uncut, Jiggy Jag, you know how you do it, you know what I'm saying? Keeping it all the way live. Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a linguist. no idea. <laughs> I love I didn't that. know you were a nerd, but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now, 267-22-Jiggy. Hey, Jiggy, what's happening, man? You must be that uh, David Bowie song. Jiggy play guitar. Jeff. It's a great name, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting. I'm, I'm Mike Massey, and, uh, you know, you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my tricks up there. Thank you very much. Jiggy Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw you lose yours. Hello? Lon, how are you? It's James Lowe from iHeartRadio calling you for your radio interview. Hey. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing well. Give me like two minutes. Not a problem. Not a problem. We've got our uh, our guest is going to be right. with us here in just a few moments. Get a hold of us online, JiggyJaguar.com, JiggyJaguar.us. You can stream the show live, 24-7 replay, exclusive news, and programming information all available on our fantastic, fantastic app. And uh, find us on iHeartRadio, iHeartRadio app as well. Download the iHeartRadio app today. And uh, also find us on AMFM247.com. And if you're listening to us live, or if you're listening to us on podcast, you can go to amfm247.com, become a member of amfm247.com, and uh, sign up today and get access to everything, including being included on the iHeartRadio app. And uh, we are patiently waiting on our guest, Lon, to get back with his ear, and uh, he is uh, momentarily taking care of some business behind the scenes. And uh, get a hold of us online, JiggyJaguar.com. That is the best spot to get a hold of us, or download our app, JiggyJaguar.us. And um, we have got a great guest with us today. And uh, Lon, are you ready to join us, my friend? Lon is still... Yes, I am. Okay, there he is. And uh, Lon is going to join us here in just a few seconds. And uh, we are going to uh, bring him in here. He is fantastic. Lon Varnador. He is the author of Mostly Human, a for Pollock yep. novel. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, my friend. Yep. Tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, well, uh, then... Okay. Uh been writing for a while, uh, just sort of always been a fan of science fiction and fantasy and stuff, and just thought, uh, wanted to write 
this type of book, and I did. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. So, We've got uh, Lon with us today. He uh, he joins us live. He's a man of many many words today here on a broadcast. Lon Bernador, and uh, he joins us. <laughs> he has got mostly human, a harpolic novel. Now, your book has a creative cast of characters. Can you talk about the inhabitants of Mars, the spiders, the chimeras, the clones? Tell us all about them, man. Sure. All right. Well, uh, there, there are four different types. There's the Terrans, who are basically from Earth, who've come to Mars for various reasons. Uh, then there's clones, which are uh, humans that have been cloned, obviously. Um, they got pushed out of Earth because of a movement uh, called the Inward Turn. Uh, basically, it's, it's a quasi-religious thing. It's, it's explained in the book a bit. Um, but they've basically been pushed to Mars, and they're basically they're the only. This is one of the few places they can uh, live. Uh, chimeras are people who have uh, genetically modified themselves to look kind of mostly uh, human, but with some type of animal um, trait. Like you've got cats, and you've got lizards are the are the most predominant type. Um, um, in fact, one of the main characters, uh, she is a cat chimera. She's got, uh, she's got mostly, she's got uh, black fur all over her body, um, kind of cat-like ears, uh, human, human-length hair. But um, yeah, uh, those are uh, those are the different types of chimeras. Also, um, the main character for Pollock is. Uh, his uh, partner, uh, is a guy named Drake, who's a lizard chimera. He looks humanoid, but has a lizard skin on him. Uh, and finally, there are spiders, and those are people who came to Mars a while ago and basically have grown so accustomed to the, the, the gravity of Mars since it's less than Earth, it has kind of lengthened their entire bodies and elongated them, and they look kind of weird and freaky and so they are called spiders by everybody who still sort of tries to keep uh keep their body in a 1g type of atmosphere and train themselves to to stay stay healthy and could return to earth spiders uh by definition could not go to earth they would actually get crushed by the gravity of earth We've got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast, Lon Avonador, and uh, he is the author of Mostly Human, a four-pollock novel. He joins us today here in our broadcast, and uh, where did you come up with the idea of this future world? I'm sorry? Okay, we've got a great guest with us today. He joins Hello? us live. Lon Vernador is the author of Mostly Human, a four-pollock novel, and he joins us today here on Sky Audio. Now, where did you come up with the idea for this future world? Uh, I came up with it by uh, just... Uh, <laughs> I read a lot of science fiction and fantasy when I was a kid. Um, I've always loved Mars for some reason of... I've always had a very big fascination with the Red Planet, uh, and I just I started to write about Mars a lot, and this is one of the main stories I've had of, of it. We've got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on Skype Audio. He is the author of Mostly Human, a four-pollock novel. Lon Varnador joins us here on iHeartRadio. Now, the femme fatale in the book, she's hot. Can you describe her and tell us if she was inspired by a real woman or maybe your fantasy woman? Um, She was sort of not completely a fantasy woman like there, i've took traits from different women that i've known in my in my life in my past um so the she is someone who just sort of who's a sexuality but is lost and has a very strange and odd um cr- uh, relationship with the main character for Pollock. it's an ex-girlfriend and so there's that whole um um, bond between the two of them that makes it weird and I have many ex-girlfriends and I took from different experiences that I've had with those as well 
So We've got a great guest with us today here on AMFM247.com, iHeartRadio. He is the author of Mostly Human, a poor Pollock novel, Lon Vernadar, joins us here on Sky Audio. Now, as a fan of science fiction and fantasy, what shows, movies, and books are your favorites? What other authors and writers inspire you? Uh, as far as shows, uh, Firefly uh, just finished up the Expanse se- uh, season two, so I'm waiting for season three to show up. Um, Star Wars is a big one, um, and uh, also some of the Marvel and DC movies have, have actually sort of inspired bits and pieces of my writing. Um, as far as authors, the old guard of like Asimov, Clark, Bradbury, uh there's Ben Bova, there's indie writers like Chris Fox, Craig Martell, um, and a guy named Brandon Ellis, who uh, I've read and friend and are somewhat friends with, and we talk we talk a little bit, and um, it's it just it's a whole plethora of stuff, and uh, it's and also the because something that was also influenced by influence mostly human were the old radio shows of things like the private eyes that i have also loved and enjoyed and those kind of got thrown into the mix and that's where uh, mostly human came from was just that mixture of science fiction and the old school noir detective stories We've got a great guest with us today. He joins us on AMFM247.com. Tune in, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, a brand new Jiggy Jaguar app available in the App Store. Also, iHeartRadio, the author of Mostly Human, a four Pollock novel. Lon Vernador joins us today here on Sky Audio. Now, who is this book written for? Who do you recommend read this book? Um, well, uh, it's kind of a strange uh, sweet spot for people, but there, for anybody who likes science fiction, anybody who might like sort of the old-school noir detective-type things, that would be a good sweet spot for it. Um, there's actually a show that I forgot to mention, um, Ultra Carbon, which is on Netflix. Um, there's some a few similarities between the t- two series, um, but not... Like, oh, if you love Walter Cobham, you love this. It's more, more, it has some similarities. You might like it. I hope you do. Uh, I would recommend anyone who likes science fiction and also just kind of a little sort of a dark story because it's not a happy-go-lucky thing at all. It's kind of weird and uh, different. So, yeah, those people. (laughs) We've got Lon Vernador with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. Mostly Human, a four-pollock novel, is the latest from him. We're going to be going to Josh Bernstein here in just a few moments. He is going to join us on the telephone. Now, um, before we let you go, where can people find your book online, and where can they find you on social media, Lon? Well, uh, if you want to find my books, uh, big, the biggest one would be Amazon. Uh, that's the, the big granddaddy of all. Uh, but Mostly Human is available on iTunes, uh, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, as well as iTunes, or as well as Amazon, and also on Smashwords. Um, as far as uh, media, I'm on Facebook at uh, Dragolite, D-R-A-G-O-L-I-T-E. Uh, uh, on uh, Twitter, it's the same thing. That's my same handle there is at D-R-A-G-O-L-I-T-E, Dragolite. Uh, if you want to read any of my, uh, look at my blog or anything like that, that's a little bit different. That is com. Fantastic. And I believe that is a well, Lon, I appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for coming on, and we definitely will talk to you in the future. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, man. There goes uh, Lon Varnador. 
And uh, we are going to take a quick little break here, probably about uh, 60 seconds. When we come back, we will get Josh Bernstein in here. Back in a few moments. Back here on our big broadcast, coast to coast and border to border on iHeartRadio, AMFM, 247.com as well. And Josh Bernstein joins us on the telephone. Josh, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Great to be back on the program. Now, uh, you are constantly busy. I I see you all over social media. I see you all over the place. You have got a lot going on. Um, Bring us up to speed on some of the efforts that you've got going on out there, my friend. Well, um, I'm on Amazon TV now and Roku Television, so folks can go to Amazon.com or Amazon Prime and look for the Josh Bernstein Show there. Uh, also on Roku Television and Patreon.com forward slash Josh Bernstein. And, of course, I'm an AMAC national spokesman. Yep. And uh, if you want a free membership, you can go to AMAC.us or call toll-free 888-262-2006. Again, 888-262-2006 for the conservative alternative to AARP. Uh, a lot going on. Look, uh, you've got the situation at YouTube and although I do not condone violence and I don't agree with what that lady did uh, as far as causing violence and killing people and then shooting herself to make her point, I think there's better ways to do it. Yes. But, and, you know, you have to understand that she's feeling the frustration of being censored. Uh, I've been censored. I'm sure you have. Many millions of people have been censored, and it's really a terrible thing to feel censored. Now, obviously, I'm not uh, supporting what she did or say that it was a good thing at all. That's not what I'm saying. But I understand the frustration that someone could feel being censored. And uh, maybe it will bring light and attention to people in Congress that live in the Washington, D.C. bubble that don't get censored. Maybe they'll understand what the rest of America is uh, being subjected to, and uh, things will change. We've got Josh Bernstein with us today here in our broadcast. And, uh, Josh, another story that's out there that uh, a lot of people uh, have been wanting to get your thoughts on is uh, Trump says he's going to guard the Mexican border with military to stop illegal alien invasion. Tell us a little bit about this. Uh, absolutely thrilled that he has decided to do this. Uh, I think it does a couple of things. Number one, it's a great political move because it strengthens the base. At the base that it's not Trump's desire to build the wall, it's Washington's desire to keep him from doing it. So I think it kind of differentiates and separates those two entities. The other thing that it does is it protects our country from human trafficking, from drug trafficking, from illegal aliens coming into uh, our country. Uh, and so I think it's well long overdue. It should have been done on January 20th, to be quite honest. But... Uh, it's a step in the right direction, and maybe it'll lead to, you know, the building of the wall and, and meaningful border, um, you know, legislation. We've got Josh Bernstein with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. And um, Trump says that uh, he's been speaking to a Defense Secretary, Jim Mattis, about deploying the military on the border. About a 1,000 immigrants from Central America, mainly Honduras, are moving in a group through Mexico towards the U.S. Some of them are expected to seek asylum if they reach the United States. This, according to the Washington Times. Uh, this is a big, big deal. Uh, what, what, what do you think is going to happen here? Well, let's hope that that happen. Um, we know that Mexico is not helping us in any capacity they're letting these people come through. And, you know, the ironic thing is is that if you're an illegal alien and you're found to be illegal in the country of Mexico, it's actually a felony. And you could actually do hard labor. You could go to jail. The second time, it's a 10-year hard labor jail sentence. So it's ironic that when they come here, free education, free this and free that, but yet in Mexico, where they're coming through, they actually uphold their laws. So I always say that it's a shame that the American media and the and half of the American people 
see this as a humanitarian issue when it's not. It's a security issue. And we have to take the emotional aspect out of it and understand that if we cannot secure our border, we cannot secure our country. So we'll see what happens. We've got Josh Bernstein with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast, uh, Coast to Coast and Border to Border on iHeartRadio, AMFM, 247.com as well. And uh, there, of course, Josh mentioned earlier that he is a representative for our good friends over there at AMAC. And uh, after one year of Trump, Obama is actually doing fine uh, according to uh, 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 this, Obamacare didn't fail, according to Vox, which I find really strange, because then in the yeah. in the next article down, it says enrollment is down 3%. Uh, <laughs> what, 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 what is going on here? <laughs> you know, look, thank God we were smart enough to defund the funding mechanism in the uh, tax cut uh, bill, because that... Ultimately, as I've explained in the past, will make the entire program more than likely fall apart. And the reason that it will fall apart is because the funding mechanism is what was holding up the other quote-unquote tentacles, if you want to call them that. And uh, because of that, it should go by the wayside. Now, I know that it's unfortunate that some people are still trying to prop this thing up. We saw what was going on in, um, in Idaho in which they were obviously uh, trying to skirt the Obamacare requirements by allowing uh, plans to come outside of the Obamacare plans to be sold in Idaho with the thought process that the administration has been against Obamacare, so more than likely they will not sue to enforce Obamacare. And so far that's been the case. Um Look, there's an excellent alternative. It's called AMAC's Best Plan. Uh, you know, shameless plug there. You can go to amac.us, put in Best Plan, bipartisan, easy, simple, and timely. It's only 15 pages long. And, yes, you actually do get to keep your doctor. And uh, you can also go to Google and put in uh, AMAC's Best Plan and read about it. And if it's something that you think would be a great alternative, as we do, then we would ask you and encourage you to contact your member of Congress and ask them to enact. AMAC's best plan. So, uh, AMAC.us is the website. We've got uh, Josh Bernstein with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. And, uh, Josh, what do you have on the uh, television program this week? Lots of stuff. Um, I just interviewed what I would call a Bernie Sanders type socialist candidate out of Maryland running against Ben Cardin in the Senate. His name is Dr. Jerome Siegel. Uh, oh, how did how did you fare with this guy? Because I've I've heard he has had some tussles with some folks fairly recently. <laughs> well, put it this way: tomorrow I will be putting up our interview, and uh, it is for you know it's must see TV. To be quite honest, <laughs> you need to grab a cold one and some popcorn and watch this interview. Uh, we were supposed to talk about gun control, but to be quite honest, we spent most of the time on Israel, Palestine, Iran and foreign policy, and that was about 40 minutes. Uh, and it was just a big-time back-and-forth. Did, did, uh, did he call you a, did, credit. Did he call you a fraud? I a credit for showing up and uh, getting into the lion's den with me. It shows a lot of courage on his part, and it's, uh, it's more than I can say for the weakling uh, wimps over there at rightwingwatch.org and Kyle Mentila, who I have personally called out numerous times to debate me but so far, uh, he has not taken me up on it. Now, uh, did, did, did this gentleman that you've got on, did he, did he call you a fraud at, at, at any point during the, <laughs> during the interview? I, you know what? I can't remember <laughs> if he did or not. I don't think he did. Okay. Because um, when he was on with... When he was on with me and today. when he was on with me and Don Mazzella, he kept referring to him as a fraud. He kept calling Don okay. a fraud. <laughs> well, like I said, this is must TV. No, no question about it. Uh, it'll be up and it'll be out um, uh, tomorrow. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I'm looking and, forward uh, to it. You don't want to miss that one. I, I, unfortunately, I'm banned on my Facebook page, so the only way you'll be able to see it is uh, is obviously on YouTube. Yes, uh, but also Amazon would have it, but it'll come out a couple weeks after but uh yeah you don't want to miss this one it's going to be a good one 
Well, good stuff. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful week, my friend. You as well. Talk to you then. There goes Josh Bernstein, and uh, I, the guy that he is he is going to be debating on the show, this guy's amazing. He is perfect. Perfect for conservative radio fodder. We've got more coming up. BitcoinStockOptions.com. Check it out today. BitcoinStockOptions.com. These folks have a trusted, trusted history in getting you the best. BitcoinStockOptions.com. Check it out today. Are you wanting to get in the world of Bitcoin? Check out BitcoinStockOptions.com. That's BitcoinStockOptions.com. At DollarSeed.com. All of our seeds are only a dollar a pack. And we have online resources that teach you all about the rewarding hobby of growing your own plants, flowers, herbs, and vegetables. Imagine the joy you'll feel when your children actually help you harvest your first garden crop. Or the pride of knowing you'll never need a florist again. Visit DollarSeed.com and grow a little magic of your own for just a dollar. DollarSeed.com. What could be healthier? We put something on all the talk show hosts that Ajax can't take off. But we can't do it alone. So please contribute to the Jiggy Jaguar Show. Check out JiggyJaguar.com for more info. An incredible new marketing partner with us today at Transmedia Worldwide. Wow! Try new e-liquid by Vape and Chill. Check it out today. It's the brand new e-liquid by Vape and Chill. Check out their website. It is absolutely amazing. Vapeandchill.com slash collections slash the number 10 ML-liquids. Go over to vapeandchill.com. Go there right now. It's vapeandchill.com. And for the people, the cheap seats in the back, it's V-A-P-E-A-N-D. C-H-I-L-L-Vapeandchill.com And tell you, you heard about it here. Translate it. Well, Vapeandchill.com Yamanotante.org for a private investigator licensed with many years of experience in the USA and Japan. Background checks, corporate investigations, license plate checks, and much more. Contact them and tell them directly about your case. Yamanotante.org. That's Y-A-M-I-N-O-T-A-N-T-E-I.org. It's a minute report for America. The hard consequences of the left's anti-science impulse goes back decades. Many observers have noted that the eugenics movement, strongly advocated by progressive heroine Margaret Sanger, led to the involuntary sterilization or castration of more than 35,000 Americans. The Nazi regime of Adolf Hitler used the type of thinking brought on by eugenics to justify killing millions, yet the left still didn't lose its interest in controlling human breeding. Eugenicist thinking has been revived by scientists convinced that mankind has exceeded the viability of Earth's ecosystem. City Journal notes that left-wing physicist John Holdren, who served as an advisor to President Obama for eight years, called for a planetary regime to control population. I'm Frank Bernicio. Read more at usagovpolicy.com. 24 7 365 and available worldwide on the internet this is the number one talk show online the world famous jiggy jack we're just gonna call dr jack carabelli get him in here and see what the good doctor is up to he's gonna join us here in just a few moments hello and i believe there is dr jack carabelli how are you sir I am well. Good to talk to you, James. Now, uh, Dr. Jack has uh, has been all over. He is uh, 
just been doing uh, a lot of uh, of traveling. He has been uh, he's been like a fish in a hurricane, if 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 you want to you want to use that terminology. And uh, <laughs> Doctor Jack, there is a heck of a lot going on in the world. Um, first of all, give us give us your take on uh, some of these different things that have been happening. First of all, what do you think of these tariffs that uh, Trump has put in and that China and some of these folks have countered with? Well, James, I think it really comes back to the, you know, the process of how we, we arrive at these, you know, really significant policy decisions. And trade, trade and tariffs are obviously a huge one, not only for, you know, us domestically, but also the impact on on both friends and adversaries overseas what you know what I, what I can't find and again this goes back to what we've discussed on, on on Donald Trump and sort of other settings is is any kind of real policy deliberation among top officials uh, that, that you know sort of review the bidding that look at the pros and cons of any particular decision that the president is is contemplating rather it seems to be the reverse that you know Trump gets an idea sort of in his head to impose tariffs and or goes back and looks at a uh, a speech he may have given during the campaign and says well I guess it's time to do that you know and then the, uh, the you know the staff you know and the senior officials in the government have to go and sort of uh, backfill try to figure out uh, you know what, what to do about it the other part uh, is I, I can't see that there's been a lot of thought given to the um, uh, just the impact and the consequences again for our economy and then you know for the economies of other uh, of other friends and allies. Um, so uh, you know uh, you know I hope it doesn't trigger a trade war. Uh, it doesn't have to. It looks like he's uh, maybe backing off a bit on on China. Uh, but again, you know, these kinds of sweeping issues, you know, bring with them a lot of consequences. And, you know, again, my, my concern is, you know, have we given, you know, again, the public and our friends, uh, you know, a, a real strong consideration of, you know, of, of what we're trying to do in the, in the pros and cons of whatever decision we go. Uh, you know, they're, there's a lot of history that shows the trade wars, uh, you know, if it turns into that, and again, you know, I certainly hope it doesn't, but, you know, that these kind of tariffs that can trigger trade wars, that, that, that no one really benefits from them. So, you know, I, I hope that, you know, the president will begin to learn after more than a, a year in office that, you know, those, those kinds of big questions really deserve, you know, at least some thorough uh, look at by by people that are actually, you know, deeply experienced on those issues, and then if the president agrees or disagrees, he can make his decision. But I'm I'm afraid we're we're, we're back to a an issue that has not been given the the real strong attention, you know, among experts that it uh, that it really should in the administration. We've got Dr. Jack Carabelli joining us today here in our broadcast and uh, coast to coast and border to border on iHeartRadio and AMFM, 247.com. Now, um, fairly recently, uh, there was a, a U.S. Marine Corps general who said that 70% of today's youth are unfit. Uh, are millennials the fattest generation in history is the question that's been asked. Um, you've been in and around uh, the military and, and worked in uh, CIA and all levels of government. Um, what do you make of this? Is, is, is this basically you know physical, mental, moral issues are disqualifying uh, folks that are joining the military? Or is this just hype and, and trying to sell some newspapers, as they say? Well, I hope it's not, you know, in, in one sense I hope it is, in one sense I hope it isn't hype. Maybe you and I should talk about this over a couple of uh, beers and pizza. Uh, <laughs> That's the, uh, perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> it'd be a great way to do it. But the, um, I, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to know. I don't know what the statistics are. It'd be interesting, you know, to really hear the, the, the deeper thoughts of the, you know, of, of the general um, you know we're uh, you know we're in a I guess a, a world an era James where 
uh, you know, there seems to be a lot of it, attention, the physical fitness and the like. Uh, there's also the, I guess, the distractions of, you know, things like, uh, you know, social media and everybody walking around with a cell phone, uh, you know, stuck in their ear and things like that. Um, so, you know, I, again, I hope the general's not correct uh, because we've got plenty of uh, challenges, you know, around the world and, you know, we need the best of our, you know, our, our, our young generation, those who are, you know, 18 to 30, uh, you know, and hope that they're up, up physically up to the, up to the task. Uh, but I, you know, I don't know. I've, I, but I, I will add a final thought that, uh, you know, a very good friend of mine, uh, who served as a Marine Corps aviator, uh, and is, uh, tough as nails and, uh, I think Scott's probably around 50 or 55 now. Uh, you know, he still is in touch with, uh, you know, the Corps and, you know, the, uh, the units he served with previously. And I think, uh, he might agree with the general that, you know, the overall, you know, physical fitness at least, uh, of, you know, some of our military isn't what it needs to be. And when you add in the, you know, the fact that, you know, we're, you know, and this sounds probably politically incorrect, that, you know, as, as you bring more women into military service in combat roles, the, you know, I think the general fact is that a, a woman who's, say, five foot five, 130 or 40 pounds, you know, I'm sure she's, uh, assuming she's fit, but, I mean, she will just never be as strong as a guy who's six foot one and 180 pounds. So, you know, in, in the guise of, you know, trying to be uh, current and politically correct, are we, you know, taking away from the capabilities we need to carry out the missions? Well, we, you know, maybe we need to look closely at that. And if the general's comments, um, <clears throat> you know, trigger a, a close look at, you know, are we physically prepared to take on the missions we say we, we want, uh, you, know, the, you know, maybe that's a good thing. We've got a great guest with us today. Of course, he joins us uh, from time to time, uh, Dr. Jack Caravelli. And um, Time Magazine has recently uh, done a story on the, uh, the the Saudi crown prince. Uh, he thinks he can transform the Middle East. And they're asking the question, should we believe him? Uh, wh- what do you make of this gentleman? Because I see him... Uh, you know, in the United States, he's he's going around on like a a tour. He's uh, he's having he's having dinner with the Rock. He's he, he's doing all sorts of things. Uh, yeah. What 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 do you make of this guy? Well, you know, he's uh, it, it's a great question because it's uh, you know very important not only for Saudi Arabia, of course, and and their future, you know, but also for us. The the Saudis are important and you know, really uh, actually critical part of the Middle East. Let me, let me, let, let me try a couple things. Uh, first of all, he's very young. He is, I think, 32 years old. Uh, he has not spent a lot of uh, time uh, outside Saudi Arabia, uh, but he has, I think, some very interesting political instincts. His, his brother, by the way, he's also very young, um, is the uh, Saudi ambassador uh, here in Washington. <clears throat> So the family is, you know, is, is quite is quite interesting, and, and both of the sons uh, are the, the, the sons of the of the aging King Salman. Uh, and as you said, the the crown prince, the the 32 year old, uh, is the de facto ruler of the country now. Uh, if you look at Saudi Arabia, uh, sort of across the board, in you know years and decades past, James, they've you know, it, it's been a very closed, conservative uh, society that has not, you know, leaped, you know, into the 21st century very well. Uh, you know, I think what we see here in this young crown prince is, number one, the recognition uh, that things need to change, and number two, the willingness to try to do it. Now, in Time Magazine, should, should we believe this crown prince? I, you know, I think at the very least I would say, you know, we should, we should give them a chance. If any of your uh, many listeners go online and just type in uh, Saudi Vision 2030 uh, plan, you know, they will see that, 
you know, Saudi Arabia actually has a very uh, forward-leaning, uh, thoughtful uh, strategic plan of where they want to go. Uh, will they get there? Uh, you know, we, we don't know yet, of course, but uh, the very fact that they're looking at trying to take, uh, you know, some of the, you know, previous shortfalls, uh, you know, in their society uh, and address them is, you know, is pretty... Uh, pretty impressive, I would say. Uh, you know, women are going to get the, the right to drive, and I've been in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and, uh, you know, that'll be interesting. Uh, the traffic there is sort of the equal of anything you would find in New York or Los Angeles. Uh, you know, I hope it does not become a demolition derby, uh, but it's a, um, so it, it's, it's a society that's changing. Look, in, in any big and important country, you know, change doesn't come overnight. So I think we, you know, are well advised to look uh, carefully at, uh, you know, what they're doing. But, you know, it, it's a very interesting approach that, uh, you know, this gentleman, the Crown Prince, is taking. Will he make mistakes? He probably will. You know, all leaders do. But, you know, I am encouraged by the fact that he is, you know, looking to the future, looking to change uh, some things that probably need changing, and it'll be interesting to watch. And the the thing that many don't focus on, but they should, is Saudi Arabia is a obviously a leader in the Arab world, and you know the smaller uh, Gulf states, uh, you know, will watch I think very closely. Uh, and if we see a real successful modernization in Saudi Arabia, I think there's a, a real chance that you know, some of that will kind of, uh, if you will, spill over to some of the other Gulf states. And, you know, we may look back in, you know, five or ten years, James, and see that, you know, this this young crown prince really, uh, you know, was was an important and influential, you know, agent for change uh, in the Middle East. We've got a great guest with us today. Dr. Jack Caravelli joins us here on the broadcast. And, uh, Doctor, tell us a little about how the book's doing, The Age of Hatred. Well, the, the, the book has done very well, James, and, you know, really appreciate the chance to talk about it. Um, uh, you know, I was, in, um, I was in Rome last week, uh, you know, to, to talk about it. And, you know, all, all across Europe, uh, you know, there are a lot of the same concerns we have about, again, as we were talking a moment ago, what's, what's happening in the Middle East, where's the, you know, where, where's the future going to take us, why should we care, uh, the Europeans, uh, and I'll tell you, the, um, uh, the Italians in particular are very concerned about events in uh, the Middle East and North Africa, they, uh, they've had literally hundreds of thousands of uh, migrants, they call them boat people. Uh, that have come across the Mediterranean and are, you know, trying to settle in um, uh, in Italy or, or beyond. Uh, it's a major, major financial and security concern uh, for the Italians. And, you know, I, I will tell you that they, they understand and, you know, sympathize with the, you know, the American debate on, on migrants, wherever you turn out, you know, come out on that. But for them... Uh, a much smaller and poorer country, having to deal with, uh, I think, about five or 600,000 migrants who are in their country and feed them and take care of them uh, is a real drain on their society. Uh, and this is, a, this is a challenge, again, that, you know, the Italians and other European nations are facing. And it's one reason that, um, you know, parts of Europe are becoming more uh, conservative than they were, you know, even five or ten years ago. So, uh, you know, the book tries to talk to a lot of those issues, and, uh, you know, I think the, you know, those issues that I just mentioned really show that the book is relevant and, uh, you know, really has a, a broad applicability, you know, both for us and for the Europeans. We've got Dr. Jack Caravelli joining us today. And, uh, Doctor, uh, before we let you go, when is your next book expected to come out, my friend? Well, James, you know, I've, I've kind of I've changed it up a little bit. And uh, actually, before heading to Italy last week, I um, had the chance to send to the, my U.S. publisher a, 
uh, draft of a book I'm doing with a couple of friends and colleagues uh, on on the internet and high tech and uh, things like the Internet of Things and cybersecurity and political hacking and we're um, again we, we're just getting it to the publisher. Uh, the publisher has to do their magic, of course, of you know editing and all those things that publishers do. And um, uh, we uh, hope hope to have the book out probably in the next uh, three four months and. You know, I, I look forward to talking to you about that as well. Definitely, definitely. Well, Doctor, have yourself a wonderful day, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, Jack. James, thanks very much. Great to be with you as always, and best to you and your listeners. Definitely. Thank you, my friend. There goes Dr. Jack Caravelli on Skype Audio. We are going to take a 60-second timeout, and uh, when we come back, we will get Alan K. Patch in here for Patches of History. We've got more coming up. and available worldwide on the internet. This is the number one talk show online, the world-famous Jiggy Jaguar Show. Welcome back to our big broadcast, coast-to-coast, border-to-border. It's iHeartRadio, AMFM247.com. Tune in, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, and lots of other fun places. Join us. Thanks for joining us here on this big broadcast. It's the Friday edition our big program and alan k patch is going to join us here in just a few seconds and uh alan k patch is going to be live from san diego and uh today's patches of history this thursday so it must be rome it is almost spring so many of us are thinking of food did we eat too much this winter what will we barbecue when the snow melts what is really nutritious but few will be thinking what did the Romans eat? So, historian Alan K. Patch is here to give us a taste of Rome, an ancient Rome. How are you, my friend? All right, Jiggy. Great to be back with you again. You are fantastic, my friend. You always bring us a lot going on here with Patches of History. First of all, well, what is... You know, uh, go, go ahead. Jump in there, my friend. What's up? I was just going to say, you know, uh, we, we, we look at our nutrition sources today, Jiggy, and, you know, we have fairly controls on the preparation of our food and water. You know, but none of that really existed until recently, Jiggy. You know, the last hundred years or so, they had something called the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906. I mean, before that, there's not a whole lot of controls on food, and still, even today, think about it, there's still so many food and waterborne illnesses. I mean, we can get sick from all kinds of things. We yes. We chemical additives in food now, to make them last longer and taste better. You know, and, and on the whole, like, we're exponentially more safe from all these contaminants, but still people get sick jiggy. It's a hell of a deal. It's a hell of a deal. We've got uh, Alan K. Patch with us today. Dr. Patch is with us today. And uh, akpatchauthor.com for more information on his books and him. Now, firstly, what is different about nutrition sources that sources then and now? Because, as you mentioned, uh, the... the 
you know, people can still get illness on uh, some of these water sources and things like that. Yeah, you know, that they we have controls today where they didn't have any. You think about it, they had more natural food, of course, but they certainly should have, could have had much more trouble, you know, with meat, with water. If you think about it, nobody's boiling water back then. They don't understand that they need to do that. Uh, so, so hygiene and the preparation of food and, and the security of, wa- of a clean water supply, that doesn't exist back then. And so, yes, we have, we have tremendous advancements now, but, it, you know, at the same time, we, we still hear about it on the news all the time, people getting sick from, you know, contaminated meat, you know, coming in from here and there, and they have to recall products. So, so food and waterborne illnesses are still a major factor. But, you know, let's, let's take a snapshot of what it was like to eat back in those days, eat and drink. We've got Alan K. Patch with us today, retired USN Captain Alan Patch, grew up in Plymouth, Massachusetts, with a family history that precedes the Revolution, leading to his fascination with the heritage of our nation, adding sciences to his interest in history. Alan earned a B.S. in biology from Boston College and a D.M.D. from Tufts University. He then spent over two decades in the Navy, deployed with the Marine Corps, and served in the Naval Reserve. Now, what did most Romans eat to start the day, Alan? Well, you know, a, a, a great many people today, and even back then, you know, they, they like a light breakfast. They don't really eat a lot. Um, you know, for most people, it might have been bread, a little bit of fruit. But most people ate a bowl of sort of, you know, like like wheat mixed with, with water. They called it pulse. So it's kind of like mush. So you, you get a big bowl of mush for breakfast. That's, that's generally what people got. But, you know, they, they had trouble. There were so many poor people and... Even in the city of Rome, where there was quite a large population, you know, they had to bring in grain from the Providence to feed all of the poor, and so they gave them, a lot of them, a, a, a daily ration of this grain. And sometimes that was done to gain political favor. So a great many people really had nothing more than just a bowl of mush in the morning. Heck of a deal. It's Alan and, K. Uh, yes, go, Alan. Didn't mean to cut you off, my friend. Go. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, uh... And also, you know, when you eat food back then, you know, most of the time you ate it with spoons. It's not so much forks and knives like it is today. So, you know, you eat with spoons, you eat with your bare hands. <laughs> you know, nobody ever heard of soap then, Jiggy. We've got Alan K. Patch with us today, Patches of History Today, and Dr. Patch expanded his interest to Greek and Roman history, which provided fertile ground for his fiction writing. He is a board member of the Friends of Classics at San Diego State University. Now, what about lunch and dinner? Well, lunch was still a light meal. Uh, they, they really didn't eat a lot. It wasn't until they had dinner that they really sat down and had quite a bit of food. Um, and that was around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and that was, you know, the most substantial meal of the day. You know, the poor again, of course, you know, they're getting grain, cheese, whatever, they, whatever else they could get their hands on. But, you know, the wealthy, uh, the, you know, the rich Roman patricians, they, they have something altogether different. You know, they're having banquets and big meals, and they might sit down. Uh, but most of the time, uh, it was a totally different situation, Jay. It is Alan K. Patch. He joins us today. Patches of History. Alan's Patches of History brings us insights into the past and the present. His novels bring us adventurous escapes into the past and present. Check out his website, akpatchauthor.com. What would a healthy Roman feast be like? Well, you know, here's the difference between the poor and the rich, you know. The richer Romans, you know, of course, they would have trusted slaves who would cook the food and set it on the table. And so the Romans would lie, they would lie on a couch eating, sort of like you see those uh, pictures, you know, from ancient Greece and Rome. They kind of rest on their left arm and they reach for the food on a table with their right. And, you know, back then they didn't eat a lot of beef or like animal meat. They were really, they were really more interested in fish back then. And uh, they, they, they also loved oyster jiggy. In fact, there were oyster farms. They were smart enough to have oyster farms and harvest them for uh, all the, you know, the taste of these Romans who, you know, I'm not saying they didn't have special meat tongues. They would even eat, like, flamingo tongues, jiggy, and peacocks and snails and things like that. So, you know, some of their food did become elaborate, but uh, most of the time they were definitely interested in fish. I mean, you look at some of these feasts, they had crazy stuff. They would even eat, like, little mice, uh, you know, coated with sesame seeds and dipped in honey. You can believe that. It <laughs> is. Here is the most yes. important thing to eat. Go. Jump in there, my friend. 
they use something that, like, we would use for ketchup today. You aren't going to believe this. This is stuff that's called garum. And this was one of the most important sauces in the ancient world. And, in fact, the city of Pompeii, which we know is buried by a volcano, that was, like, one of the attractive reasons to go to that uh, resort was to get their garum, this sauce. And you aren't going to believe how this is made. You get a bunch of sardines and other little fish, you chop it up with all their guts and everything, and then you put it in a pot with, uh, you know, salt and a few other things, and you let it ferment for a number of weeks, Jiggy. And then after it, you know, condenses, and it's so stinky, they couldn't even make it in the, in the cities. They had to make it on the outskirts of the cities. So then after that period of time, after, you know, the, the liquid hit, they would drain that out. Then they would spread it on everything, and that was like ketchup to them. Can you imagine? It is Alan K. Patch with us today. He's a historian. He joins us today here on Patches of History. And uh, Passage of Delphi is the first in a series exploring the confluences of the past, the present, and the future with ordinary people tossed into extraordinary situations. Delphi's chosen continues the adventure, but now the characters are volunteers rather than victims. He invites readers along for the thrilling ride and explores the difference between heroism and celebrity in the context of the past and present culture. AKPatchAuthor.com. It's AKPatchAuthor.com. And for the people in the cheap seats in the back, AKPatchAuthor.com. Now, what problems came with Roman food, Alan? Well, let's look at what we have today. We have refrigerators, freezers, all these ways of preserving food. And uh, they didn't have the same thing. They had to salt everything heavily sometimes to, to keep it going for a long time. And, and water certainly would be a problem because of the waterborne diseases. I mean, think about it. You know, there's typhoid, diphtheria, all these different diseases that you can get from, from having impure water. I mean, even in, even in the White House in the mid-1800s, you know, and around there, uh, you know, people were dying of typhoid fever and things. So, it, it, you know, it's back to one of the original things we talked about is only in the last hundred years or so that we've really started to be very conscious about, uh, you know, water and food safety. But, you know, when you come right down to it, you have to these days, you know, even then they had not, very little control over how long things kept. And today we've got the same problems, Jiggy. You know, you have to be careful who prepares your food. You have to know where it's coming from. And, uh, you know, what about, the, what about the best lesson of all, Jiggy, from your mother? Wash your hands before you eat. If you do that, yes, indeed. Then, uh, there you go. You're, you're ahead of the game right there. Yes, indeed. It is Alan K. Patch. He's with us today in our broadcast. And uh, Patches of History is what we're talking about today with Alan K. Patch. Check out akpatchauthor.com. That's akpatchauthor.com. And uh, Alan is with us today here in our broadcast. A little bit more about Alan. He is, uh, as we mentioned, a uh, retired USN uh, captain. He grew up in Plymouth, Massachusetts with the family history that precedes the revolution, leading to his fascination with the heritage of our nation. He has added sciences to his interest in history. Alan earned a BS in biology from Boston College and a DMD from Tufts University. He joins us today here on our big broadcast. Podcast. And uh, Alan's Patches of History brings us insights into the past and the present. His novels bring us adventurous escape into the past and the present. Alan Patches' fast-paced novels bring history to life in the Delphi series, where ordinary people are thrust into extraordinary situations. And uh, he is got Patches of History today, and uh, he joins us live here on our big broadcast. And Alan has got Passage of Delphi and Delphi's Chosen. They are both available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and akpatchauthor.com. Well, Alan, we've got our next guest calling us, so I've got to go, my friend. But uh, we definitely will be in touch. Thank you, my friend. All right, Jiggy. Always great, great to be with you and your audience. Definitely, definitely, my friend. We will talk soon. Have yourself a wonderful day. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we have got more coming up. Stay tuned. It is the world famous Cheeky Jaguar Radio Broadcast back here in a few moments. Them 16 switches like Drake. Cause where I'm from, nigga, that's what everybody 
plate. DGK blunt on my motherfucking plates. Cause real ass niggas don't never come fake. I'm about to hit up weight this past Troy's. I'm dipping by myself, I'm about to call up my boys. I pass up the car, I see some bitches looking fine. I hit the corner one more time to see the booty from behind. Got to the corner, hit the switch and made it jump. I got these JVCs and the kicker, so it bump. Uh, I know you whole ass niggas wanna ride, bitch. I got the front, back, and side to side, daddy. Front, back, and side to side. Snowflakes with that honey gloss and tighter than the sheep's dick. Hitting the switches make the ass jump. Do it tall, solid gold jewel. Chrome jacks up the ass wall. Smoke be that jack town mac in a caddy. Six fucking fifteen. Hitting harder than a nigga dead. And all you hoes getting dick in your back. Going smack from a country ass gold teeth. Chicken eating mac. Cause I'm a player that gets sweet and good shit. I take your bitch to my crib and throw a party on that pussy. And watch the niggas jock a jig. Big cars, big money, big nuts, shit, it's smoke dick. With the smoke jig ride, getting scandalous. Pussy, I dismantle it. 